listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Friday morning. So let's turn to our final feature of today, Radio for Good, where we spotlight the great charities around Hong Kong. And this week, for the very first one of our program, Brunch, I'm really delighted to welcome to the program Catherine Gerton, the CEO of Pathfinders Hong Kong, which is a charity dedicated to help pregnant migrant workers here in Hong Kong. Thank you for joining us, Catherine. It's so great to see you. How are you? My pleasure. Great to see you too, Noreen. Yes, thank you so much for, for accepting the invitation. And it's always nice to, to have you on the show. So um, the, the focus of today's chat, we're talking a little bit more about the challenges faced by foreign domestic workers, especially during COVID. Uh, we are live this morning on Facebook as well. I'd love for our listeners to join us there. Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. Um, perhaps, Catherine, if you can sort of outline some of the challenges that you've been seeing uh, faced by migrant workers here in Hong Kong? Yeah, so for the past 14 years, um, Pathfinders has been serving um, children born to migrant domestic workers. Um, And we're guided by the fundamental principle that um, all children matter and should receive a fair start in life. Um, So since around 2008, we've supported over 9,500 mothers and children. Um, Most of the pregnancies that we see are unplanned Um, and as a result the expectant mother um, may conceal her pregnancy, uh, she may resign or her contract may be terminated by her employer because neither of them know what else to do. Um, And of course when this happens um, because of the live-in rule they immediately become homeless um, and they only have two weeks to find another job which is pretty impossible if you're pregnant. So um, within two weeks when the working visa expires they lose access to all public services including healthcare. Obviously that's vital as we know as mums for prenatal screening. Um, And so, you know, for those who um, are are unable to return home, um, you know, having a child out of wedlock and and there are lots of sort of um, fears about sort of persecution when they return, they sometimes go underground. So really, we exist to intervene in, in a crisis. So we have case managers that sort of help all of their needs, their immigration, social, emotional needs. Um, We have a shelter, an emergency shelter. We provide um, uh, supplies, education, healthcare. Um, But really fundamentally, I think like any other NGO, um, we're really motivated um, by the desire to ensure that we're not needed tomorrow in the same way as today. So we're really trying to do a lot more to prevent the crisis from happening in the first place. I'm super proud of all of the stuff that we're starting to achieve now in that space, which is sort of a newer strategy over the last few years. Yeah, and and I should also preface by saying that it's illegal to terminate um, your helper if she's pregnant. Why does this still happen? And surely these employers are breaking the law. What can be done? And and do these um, migrant workers know their rights? Yeah, so it's a mix. So um, often the migrant domestic worker doesn't know her her rights or she's too fearful to tell the employer. Um, Often employers don't um, appreciate the obligations within the contract and that they are um, required to provide maternity leave. Like all women, working women in Hong Kong, migrant domestic workers are entitled to 14 weeks of maternity leave. 
I mean, I guess the challenge for the employer is that, you know, we rely so heavily on migrant workers in Hong Kong. I mean, they're often undervalued and underappreciated, but, you know, many families rely on them for childcare, you know, working women like myself to like be able me, to work. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my wonderful helper. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we have, I think it's gone down to around 320,000 since the pandemic migrant workers in Hong Kong. But, you know, we need probably, I think the last um, estimate was 600,000 by 2047 to help care for an aging population. So, you know, we really, really rely heavily on these ladies. Um, And the challenge for the employer when a maternity leave situation comes about or sort of sick leave or anything like that, you know, there are there are stresses. And so, you know, we're increasingly trying to understand where those points of tension are and where we can try and find better solutions for the employer, because fundamentally, if the worker can maintain her employment, if the employer can have their household needs continue to be met, then the child gets a fair start. Um, So really for us, the crisis prevention is one, empowering the migrant domestic worker community. And we're so excited now to have over 200 uh, migrant domestic workers who are Pathfinders ambassadors, real community leaders that are providing peer-to-peer support, outreach and education. Because it's so important that they make well-informed decisions while they're working in Hong Kong and they don't fall into a crisis like an unplanned pregnancy. Um, but also with employers just trying to do more to, one, make sure they understand their legal obligations, um, but two, try to find some sort of viable market-based solutions to things like payments for maternity leave. Because if you're an individual employer paying four-fifths of a worker's salary while she's on leave, that's a huge financial stress. And if you're relying on them to care for you know, your children and elderly, um, you know you wouldn't want to take that 14 weeks off. Um, necessary to do that yourself. So again, temporary support is really important too. And the only legal option at the minute is a local domestic worker. And, you know, you're talking around $160 an hour. You know, if you're talking eight hours a day, five days a week for 14 weeks, it's it's just, it's it's exorbitant. I mean, it's just, it's just not, it's just not practical. So we're really trying to understand where are the challenges that the employer faces because fundamentally they can ensure job security of the worker while she's pregnant, then the child won't won't suffer. And you know, when we say first start, you know, we're not even talking best start. They're saying you know prenatal uh, care. Um, that the child is born in a hospital, that the child is certified, uh, you know, has a birth certificate, so it actually exists because, as you know, <clears throat> we've... Um... If they go underground, then a lot of the times the, the babies may not even be born in a hospital. Exactly. And if they don't exist, you know, they can't go to school or a hospital. I mean, they, they basically, you know, they basically... Don't, don't have an identity. Remember. Yes, I remember exactly. the story you shared with us on the Agenda Cafe. Um, maybe for some of our listeners who have not heard, you've worked with some, um, um, well, they're not children anymore, they're adults now, but they've, how, how many years have they been underground? Over 20 years. So they've been underground for uh, 30, well, 29 and 28 years. Wow. So the mother had been underground for 30 years. <laughs> and actually trying to even prove to immigration that they were who they said they were. You know, we had to go through a series of DNA tests, trying to sort of identify. Um, we worked with sort of partners to be able to do it because it was such a complex case. But yeah, these two girls, 28 and 29, because they didn't have a birth certificate, any identity. They'd never been to school. I mean, their mum had 
um, their mum had um, been borrowing library cards so that she could kind of sort of homeschool them. And we were very, very dedicated. And the girls just, you know, wonderful girls and very articulate and, you know, but that shouldn't happen anywhere, um, let alone in a city like Hong Kong. So, yeah, for us, it's really about trying to find solutions um, and drive change and social change so that this sort of thing doesn't happen in the future. Yeah. And, and what happens to some of, well, they're adults now, but some of these children who are underground because they assume the status, the visa status of the mother. So if the mum gets terminated and they overstay here in Hong Kong, what happens to them legally? They, well, legally, they don't exist. Um, I mean, some some of the um, mothers that we support have instead of lived under, we can't provide our services unless they surrender to immigration. Um, so we often then find that if they've been living underground, that they may then choose to enter into the unified screening mechanism to seek to seek asylum. But, you know, as, as we know from experience, you know, if you're from the Philippines or Indonesia, you know, claiming asylum, you're, you're basically saying that you're, you know, you're, um, you need international protection, you can't return home. And so the, the, the reality is the chance of a successful uh, USM claim for, for those from, from these countries is, is very slim. Um, so really for us, it's about really trying to, again, it's all about choice. So we, you know, the mother makes the choice, but we, pre we present different potential paths or find different potential paths, hence pathfinders, um, to really ensure that the mother is making decisions in the best interest of her child, ensuring that child's nurturing care, which also includes the importance of safety and security and living underground in Hong Kong or living in a sense of temporary limbo within the USM system is, is not a, a secure, um, stable place for a child to be. So for us, it's really about how do we work with the mothers to empower them to make decisions and to plan for the future so that their child really does reach its full potential. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier, Catherine, that you have uh, ambassadors uh, for, for these crisis prevention and also crisis intervention. Um, can you share uh, sort of the role of these ambassadors? What, what do they do and, and how do they sort of go into the community? So you're just giving me gooses. Um, only that I just, um, I'm, so inspired, I'm so inspired by these incredible women because they give up their only day off. Um, to um, to one, they come in for from yeah, professional response too. <laughs> uh, so we have just over two hundred of them now. They're a mix of Filipinos and Indonesians, um, and we're also now starting to focus on the sort of Hindi-speaking population as well, uh, so that there's a good representation. Um, but yeah, they give up their only day off, and initially they come to us and they receive some basic training on things like love scams, healthy relationships, what Pathfinders does, so that they can kind of then start that outreach. And then they get sort of levels of advanced training if they want in terms of social media, um, how to do a podcast, um, how to um, how to pr protect themselves in terms of barriers, because when they're outreaching in the community, they often surface uh, cases actually. So far this year, a hundred of our cases have been referred by the ambassadors while out in the community to, to Pathfinders. So, and actually that was quite an unforeseen consequence of the program. We, we really wanted to create a scalable and sustainable model that's led by workers, former workers, because fundamentally then that means that we, we're not needed in the same capacity. Um, but yeah, we hadn't expected them to be so 
so um, able to and so actually for a, a group of 20 ambassadors at the minute who are really really interested and um, we are sort of, uh, sort of connecting them with our caseworkers so they can understand a little bit more about the crisis interventions um, and even things like ensuring that the mother has a pregnancy certificate you know that's something our team previously would have had to work with the client on um, but these ambassadors are ensuring that they already come to us with some of this stuff in place. And so, you know, really our desire is to see the crisis and the number of women and children with supporting a crisis decrease. Um, and typically when you see more outreach, you see more cases. But it's really it's really interesting how how it's kind of not necessarily working out that way um, and how we're able more at an inquiry level and over the phone to signpost what these ladies need to do also because they're coming to us at an earlier stage of their pregnancy and that's really our long-term vision is you know how do we ensure that they don't fall into the level of crisis that needs the you know the expertise of um, our case our case workers who are phenomenal i mean they're on the front lines I, I i often say to them i don't know how they do what they do um but yeah so it's exciting to see that and, and also exciting to be thinking about how we can better support the employers because we did a survey recently which which you which you know and um you know one people didn't necessarily know that it was illegal to terminate their worker um, but also they often felt that they weren't supported that you know migrant workers have a lot of ngo support but as employers they feel a little bit under supported um, by society and so for us it's really important for us to say look we are here um, we do want to understand your needs because fundamentally if if we don't then crisis is going to continue to happen whereas if we do we can support you and your worker the child then gets the first start so um yeah, it's um. You it's have an amazing. Work. You really have an amazing team, <laughs> and and hopefully you'll reach a point where you'll have more ambassadors than beneficiaries because everybody will be so knowledgeable, and you know, um, um and and these sort of crises can be can be prevented. Um, very quickly, Catherine, I know you also have a recent uh, photography competition. Can you share some more about that? Yeah, so for us, it's part of our Working Mums Hong Kong campaign. And the, the essence of that is really to celebrate all working mums in Hong Kong, including the many migrant domestic workers who are mums too. Um, so the campaign basically is, has been encouraging migrant domestic workers in Hong Kong who are mothers um, and their children back in the original countries to submit images and letters, um, really to express how they meaningfully connect while separated. Um, and for us, it's really a celebration of just the sacrifice that many of these mothers make to come to Hong Kong, um, leave their children in the care of uh, extended family members to provide them a brighter future. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that we're quite um, concerned about, I guess is the right way to say, it, is that um, you know we are going to be encouraging more women to migrate um, as migrant domestic workers, both in Hong Kong, as I mentioned, you know the numbers we need will be significant but also in other Asia-Pacific regions. And we just want a little bit more of a balanced discussion on the impact of the children left behind. Um, because, you know, yes, there is huge economic upsides in terms of sending of remittances. But unfortunately, often these women go home worse off 
Um, but while they're away, if they don't have strong guardianship of their children, or for example, if their employer doesn't allow them to take breaks to regularly connect with their children, yeah, that's quite that's quite damaging for and has huge risks for the children left behind. So I think fundamentally, our core will always be supporting the sort of the mothers who have children in Hong Kong. But really, we're passionate about anything to do with children and migration. And so we are looking a little bit more. And this photo competition is particularly exciting because of we're because we're working with Isa Cruz Bacani, who is a second generation migrant domestic worker, so knows knows the experience of being a child left behind. Um, but is also celebrated now an award-winning photographer based in New York. And her her story is just um sorry, I've got gooses. Yeah. <laughs> Her story is just, um, it's super special. So we're excited to be working with her. So yeah, around Children's Day, which is the 20th of November, but also our 14th anniversary, we're excited to launch this sort of 49 image competition. And, and 49 is important because it represents the number of years that migrant workers have been coming to Hong Kong and supporting families oh, like wow. yours and mine. Yeah. So we're uh, yeah watch this space for november we will um, be yep you've got our support <laughs> catherine just very quickly um how can we support the work that you do at pathfinders are you on social media how can we uh, have you got a website as well yeah we have a website um social media it's pathfinders um pathfinders uh, hk and um yeah like our page um share our posts um, public awareness for us is, is a key thing. Um, we don't benefit from government funding or community funds like the Jockey Club or um, community chess. So we rely very heavily on individuals, corporates, foundations. So if you'd like to support our work, we would love to hear from you. Um, and just if you know of any employer or worker who is who's, who's currently sort of facing the challenges of an unexpected pregnancy and needs support, please send them our way. We're there. We're there for both parties and, and really want to make sure that child is, is well protected and respected. Great. Well, Catherine, so lovely to speak to. And thank you for, for you and your team for doing so much good for Hong Kong. And that's why we have you on Radio for Good uh, this week on Brunch. Thank you so much and all the best with all your upcoming work. And we will be watching that space uh, in November as you celebrate uh, another milestone. Thank you so much. And a big shout out to our team. They're a very special bunch of people and we couldn't do what we do without them. Absolutely. Well done. Thank you so much.